You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. You know, it's my pleasure and joy to be able to uh, speak before you again this morning. Perhaps one of the last few times that we'll be meeting here in the theater. I'm really going to miss it being here, but I look forward to what God has for us in our new location. Yes, this morning we're going to be speaking, I'm going to be speaking on this concept of spiritual transformation. And how when we walk with Christ, God begins transforming our lives and begins making us into a letter of recommendation that everyone can read. You know, when I thought about preparing for this, the first thing that occurred to me is that most permanent lasting change that occurs in our life comes from the inside of us out. Even in something like dieting, and losing weight. Folks, your elder is going to be real with you this morning. Over my lifetime, I've uh, had a tendency to lose and gain, lose and gain, go on that cycle that many of us find ourselves in. I remember when I was young, still living at home, my dad would go, Stanley, where did the moon pies go? And I had to be honest and go, I ate them, Daddy. And he goes, you ate them? Well, I just bought them things yesterday, boy. But seriously, I mean, there was that tendency to to do that. But that's what happens, isn't it? We go on a diet. We change our external behavior. And, uh, you know, then we gain that weight back again. We gain it, then we lose it and gain it and lose it, gain it and lose it. I had to get on a, a... a live program that, I, that I'm on now and have been for some years. I had to look at my emotional triggers. Some of the I'm, folks, I'm a counselor, so I don't mind being, you know, revealing about this. I had to get in touch with the stuff on the inside of me so I could deal with that and get a new plan of eating so it would work. You know, uh, in the counseling field, we have a term known as behavioral modification. Behavioral modification means that you may not have it inside of you. You may not want it or believe it. I work with people that use drugs and alcohol, and they'll tell me, man, I don't want this program. Leave me alone and let me smoke my dope, okay? Well, I, tell, I have to remind them, wait a minute. You're on probation, right? You got to do this, okay, for you. So fake it until you make it. That's the phrase we have in 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 the recovery programs. Now, you may not believe it, but start walking it, start doing it, and pretty soon, you know, it'll get inside of you and it will be part of you and you'll be doing it for you. You know, what I've found is that might be true for a while, but not for long. That really, to have lasting change, it has to come from the inside and out. I think, to me, one of the greatest examples of, of spiritual transformation of, of changing from the inside out is the life of the Apostle Paul. He hated Christianity. He hated Christ in the church. He, mur- he, he threatened to murder and slay Christians. But he became one of the great apostles and the missionary to the whole Gentile church, turned his life totally around because he met the living Christ on the road to Damascus and his eyes were open and he was made to see. He established 13 churches went to and from ministering unto them, 
wrote letters to them. One of the letters he wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, oh, how I long to know him in the power of his resurrection. But not, not just that, because if he just said power, we might say, oh, yeah, he, just, he wants the power. People in their flesh want that. But not just the power, I want to experience the fellowship of his suffering. I mean, that's somebody that's made a complete turnaround, 180-degree turn. The conversion of the apostle Paul has been called one of the greatest apologetics or defenses of, the, of, of Christianity. It shows how God can transform a life from someone that was totally against the cause of Christ to someone that's totally for them. One of the letters that uh, Paul wrote was to the letter of uh, Corinthian, the church in Corinthians. He actually wrote, I think... Three letters, one of them might be lost. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 3, the whole chapter today, and we're going to glean some concepts in that chapter about this spiritual transformation. Uh, Paul had an issue with uh, going on, a lot of issues actually with the Corinthians, but especially with false teachers who were going around teaching false doctrine. They were teaching that you had to be follow the works of the law in order to find salvation. They were referred to in the book of Galatians as Judaizers. And they were going out trying to undermine Paul and his ministry and his authority. And they were issuing letters of recommendation. A letter of recommendation. Today, you know, we have letters of recommendation in in most fields that we work in uh, require that we have several of those Letters of recommendation. They're, they're worth their weight in gold. They attest to your value as an employee and your character in, in work. But they were putting out these letters of recommendation, recommending them to do this false teaching, that they were good teachers. Well, Paul challenges this. In 2 Corinthians uh, 3.1, Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation in or from you? Paul, keep in mind, Paul had been working with the Corinthian church by this time several years. And uh, it was like he had established himself. Do I, do I need one too, even though I've been pouring myself out in this labor of love? I think the answer is obviously not. Then in verse 2, the apostle Paul says these words. You yourselves are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by everybody. He's saying, you Corinthians, you are, you're a letter. Your life attests to the reality of, of, of a newness of life in you. Even though Paul had a lot of problems with the Corinthian church, Man, in, in his epistles, he, he addresses issues like uh, problems with dealing with spiritual gifts and how to operate them within the church, uh, issues having to deal with divisions and factions among them, which a lot of churches have. Issues, they even question Paul's authority, which the false teachers didn't help. They said he wasn't, a, he wasn't a good speaker like the Greeks. So Paul, Paul, had to, Paul had to deal with all, all that kind of thing. But he said, even amidst all that, there's still, you know, us, all of us, we have, we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses too. But if we've met Christ, there's a measure of difference in our lives. Our letters, our lives are like letters that can be read by everybody. That's what Paul says. 
in preparing for this, I read about a pastor that took a church in the northeast, and he was on the bus line. And after he got on the bus, he, after he paid, he looked, and he's noticed, you know what? That bus driver's overpaid me 25 cents. I need to give that quarter back. And then he rationalized within himself. No, you know what? It's no big deal. It's just a quarter. Probably won't even notice it. But then the Holy Spirit convicted him. He said, no, I need to give that quarter back. So when he... He came to a stop. He got off the bus. He told the bus driver, sir, you overpaid me 25 cents too much. The bus driver goes, yeah, I know. I was just kind of seeing if you were for real or not. And I can see that you are. You're that new pastor in town, right? The one that preaches at 34th and Main? I'll tell you what, I'll be at your church Sunday morning at 11 o'clock when you start, okay? Wow. So he gets off the bus. And he, he grabs a pole and goes, oh, God, I nearly sold you out for a quarter. Man, I want, you all, I want us to think about that. That's a little thing. It's just a quarter. But people are looking at us. They're reading us. What's our read? You know, we might say, well, he's a pastor. He's held to a higher standard. But they're looking at us, too. They're looking at the church. You know, one thing I've noticed lately, and it's been in the news a lot, we've had a lot of... Uh, Road rage, I think actually it's been going on for a long time, you know, but it's may, maybe intensified. Was it a couple of months ago, uh, a lady was killed in Arlington in a road rage incident. Uh, soon after that, someone in Mesquite was wounded by gunshot. I thought to myself, wow, well, the other, I've noticed it. I drive around a lot of my job, I, but guys honking him, he went around me and, well, he, says some expletives to me when he gets to the side of my car and, and um, shoots me a finger sign. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, one guy did it, and he, he did it with both hands. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that really scared me. I'm like, my, my goodness, he's going to lose control of the car. But I thought to myself, you know, how should I respond in that situation? Isn't it easy to think, folks, this is a battle with us in many ways because I don't like it when somebody does that to me. I get impatient and I get kind of angry, but we have to control ourselves with the spirit within us. What, what, how are we going to react? I guess the best way to react in that situation would be, to, would be not to do anything at all because we're probably not going to see those people again, right? But are they going to get a glimpse of our flesh out of control or of the spirit of the living God? People are looking at you they are looking at us. We need to be a letter of recommendation. A letter of recommendation is, first of all, a letter that reveals a new walk. There's something different about the Christian. Yeah, we have our strengths, we have our struggles, but there's a qualitative difference in the way that we live live our lives, even as the Corinthians had a qualitative difference. There should be a difference in our lives. That, that people can see what's your read. Not only is a letter of a recommendation a letter that reveals a new walk, it's also a letter that reveals a new knowledge. It reveals something that we didn't know. A revelation of a new knowledge is something that we didn't know before that becomes 
becomes known, known to us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, rather, Paul says there, I just read you are our letters. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. But then in verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God. Not on, the, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of our human heart. Like in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, uh, when the Ten Commandments were given, it was written on, on tablets of stone. But when God internalizes it in our hearts and writes it on our hearts so that we know him and we know his word, it's, this is actually a, a, a quotation from a prophecy of Jeremiah about the New Covenant that we're going to look at. Now, before I go there, Throughout Scripture, God deals with his people through his series of covenants. What's a covenant? A covenant is like an agreement or a contract that binds two or more people with certain conditions. Like in the Old Testament, you may recall that the Lord told his people, he said, if you obey me and keep my law, I will bless you, I will multiply you, I will prosper you, all those things. But that covenant failed because man, we're going to look at why a little bit later. Man was a dismal failure with that. But Christ came and died for us and established the new covenant. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8 quotes 8, 10 through 12 these words. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After these times, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts, as we just read in 2 Corinthians 3. I will be their God and they will be my, my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. He writes it with, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God upon our hearts. He writes it upon our hearts. And it's kind of like we have a new understanding now. And this is where Christianity begins, with a new mind, with a new understanding. And that's, that's the beginning of transformation is when we have that new thought process from the spirit in our, in our minds and in our hearts. Paul said this in his first letter to the Corinthians. He wrote these words. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, we have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what is of God has been freely given to us. He gives us this Not We still need teachers. We still need to, into the depths of, of God. But we, when we receive the spirit, we have a basic understanding of who we are and our need, and our need for Christ. Paul also wrote to a church in Ephesians and said, man, man, I, I long and I pray for you that you'll receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation that your eyes might be enlightened, that your eyes might be opened. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You think sometimes, why don't my neighbors, why don't my relatives, why don't they understand this stuff? If their eyes haven't been opened, they, they will not because it takes spiritual eyes from the spirit to be able to, be able to understand these things. 
It said, like our Lord said in Luke 24, 45, after he was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples and he began explaining things about himself. And Luke 24, 45 says, Then he opened their, their minds that they could understand the scriptures. I'm going through a number of scriptures here because I think it's really significant to get this concept. First John 2.20 there, John wrote in his epistle, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. If you have the Spirit, you, you have this basic knowledge of, of the truth. Many people think of the anointing as, as a, with a power type of thing, a power display. But first and foremost, the anointing is something that all have received. All of us that have the spirit of the living God within us have this anointing or understanding. Theological word for it is illumination. We've been illuminated. God has illuminated our minds. Jesus spoke about this in John 14 when he was speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 to 17. And Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you the, the counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. And then finally in John 14, 26, our Lord said, The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So a letter of recommendation is also this new knowledge that, that, that we receive. It's kind of like, a, I like to mention philosophy sometimes, only for, aller, only for analogy, uh, but Plato spoke of the cave, where the allegory of the cave, that was these three prisoners in the cave. One of them escaped, and we don't know why. The, you know, they don't tell us the reason they were in prison. One of them escapes, and he goes out, and he sees the light of the sun. He smells the flowers, sees the trees and the beautiful blue sky. And he goes back to his fellow prisoners, and he tells them, Hey, guys, hey, man, come on with me. Come on out there. Let's look at this new world. It's a new earth out there. The only thing they saw in the cave of darkness was there was fire flickering and people would pass by behind them and they would only see shadows of reality. But they didn't see reality for what it is. He said, come on, come on with me. But they were like, no, they, they chose to stay in their shackles, stay in their, they didn't believe it. It's kind of like what John said in his, in his gospel, that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. But God has given us this illumination to understand these things. Not only is a letter of recommendation a new knowledge, but a letter of recommendation is also a new pal, a new power. <laughs> That's short for power. Okay. Now, because see, you can have the knowledge, you can have, you can be in the know, you can know stuff, but really, a transformed life is having the power. Okay, it's having the power, the ability to do it. And that's the thing about the old covenant that it did not provide. It didn't provide, you had to have an engine to run, to run the automobile, right? Well, we have to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We look here in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6. There the apostle Paul tells us about this new power. Such confidence 
as this is ours through Christ Jesus. Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. It's not of us. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a, of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. But the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. Now remember, in context here, the false... Paul referred to them actually in 2 Corinthians as false apostles or super apostles. I can make it kind of a joke. They were talking about how you got to obey the law to be, to be saved. But see, the thing about it is the, the law, if you want to go by the law, you got to go by the letter. You better not have one iota missing because the letter means, hey, uh, obey this and live, and it's a package. You can't just say I'm going to obey this one little law and that little law. Well, none of us can do it, but Christ came and did it. The letter of the law. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All the, the law can do is convict us and show us what, we, what we're lacking and, and it kind of give a, a, give a diagnosis and monitor our life and say, oh, this is you. Know, this is you. You're, a sinner. You're a sinner, but it didn't empower us to do anything. And Paul had this dilemma in his own life. In Romans chapter 7, he said, oh, Lord, there's, there's this law on my members, my flesh. I want to obey you, but... Uh, the things I do, the things I want to do, I don't do, and vice versa. So well, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Well, he answers that question in Romans chapter 8. He says, there is no condemnation toward those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the law just points and says, this is what's wrong with you, and it condemns us. It doesn't empower us. He goes further in Romans 8 too. There, there, the apostle Paul says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin of death. There is this new life within us that empowers us to be able to obey. The, now, we're not under the Old Testament rituals and all that, but we're still, God calls us to be holy and to, to follow his moral law and principles. And we're, God empowers us to do that by his Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.24 puts it like this. The law was a guardian. The law was a guardian to lead us to realize that we need to be justified by faith. The law, I like one uh, translation, says the law is a tutor to kind of point and say, hey, you know, you can't do this. You can't keep this standard. That's why Paul said, you know, we need, we need righteousness is imputed from God. So then a letter of, a letter of recommendation is, all, is, is, this, is this new power. You know, we can talk about power. There's many aspects to it. The power to witness. You know, the power, God empowered the church when he came at Pentecost. His spirit was poured out upon all flesh to be his witnesses. And we can bear his fruit, fruit of the spirit. So a lot of, of this is fruit, fruit bearing. But here in context, the spirit of life, he's talking about obedience. He's talking about the empowerment to be able to, to obey him. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You know, it's kind of like uh, the law is kind of like it shows us, but it, it monitors it, but it can't do anything about it. Kind of like this commercial here. I have ever seen. Okay. 
Have a good day. Aren't you gonna fix it? Oh, I'm not a dentist. I'm a dental monitor. I just tell you when you have a bad cavity. It's bad. Lunch? Oh, yes. Where are you going? Why monitor a problem <laughs> if you don't fix it? <laughs> We've all seen that commercial, right? Wouldn't it be terrible? Aren't you gonna fix it? The guy's there in pain. What a sadist. No, no, I'm just a monitor. All I can do, all I can do is tell you you got a problem. Like the law says, you got a problem, but it can't do anything about it. I like the one where the guy's in the house. He's supposed, they think he's a termite exterminator, <laughs> but all he does is diagnose that you've got a problem with termites. He goes, yeah, you got termites, all right. The guy goes, yeah, we'll fix it. And he goes, oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm not an exterminator. I can, I'm just a monitor. All I can do is tell you that you have a problem with termites. Then as he walks out, he grabs the door. The door falls off because of the termites. Or how about the one, the guy, better yet, the guy that's a social security guard, and, and they say, aren't you going to do something? There's a robbery going on. He goes, well, I, I can just tell you there's a robbery, but I'm not a guard. I can't do nothing about it. But praise God, he can do something about it. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to be able to follow him and obey him. Not only is a letter of recommendation, not only does it reveal a new power, it also reveals a new hope. And actually, the hope here is not actually brand new, but it's, it's more like a realized hope. Because when Christ came, he fulfilled the hopes and dreams of of. People like Abraham, who the Lord, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, says that, that Abraham saw me and he welcomed me from a distance. And he had hope and he had faith. And it's realized in Christ. Man, when I look at this, we can see in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while their radiance was fading away. Man, we have hope. And that hope is, a, is really the new covenant, the hope that Jesus came and fulfilled the, the law for us to empower us, as we've said, and to, to give us knowledge and to, and to empower us. But really, he's, the hope is, Paul is saying, it's going to be, the verses beforehand here comparing the old covenant the old testament law with the new covenant here in verses 7 11 7 through 11 now if the ministry that brought death can you imagine how about a anybody excited about that how would you like to have a ministry of death does that sound exciting Paul speaks that kind of language a lot. A lot. Ministry of death. He said, no, but see, that's the law. It's a ministry of death. It can only show us our problem. We can't fix it. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory fading, though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? See, when Moses was coming down, the mountain, even, even in the process of him receiving the law shortly thereafter, the, radio, the glory of God was already beginning to fade away. Not, not the actual full glory, but the glory of God of the old covenant because the old covenant just was uh, 
we're still we're not under the law formally anymore. But but basically, the old covenant pointed for to a greater glory, to something greater than itself, and that's what that fading away of of on the glory on his, on Moses' face. That's why the the mask was there or the veil. It's also talking about here that with Christ we have such a great hope because we're going to find out that we can come before him with unveiled face. We can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive forgiveness. We look here also at when Paul, there's some, in verses 14 through 16, uh, there's a little, little aside here. What, what that I mean, Paul changes this idea of the veil uh, from a, a mask over his face to blinded eyes. Paul says there in 14 through 16 that, but their minds were made dull for, to, for this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away? Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, there's a greater glory in the, old, in, in the new covenant. Why? Because, again, to review it, it gives us power. The old covenant was just like an external code that said, you have to obey this to live. You've got to go by an absolute standard if you want to go that direction. But in, as we just read, the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness and empowers us and enables us to be right before God. And it's also permanent. It's permanent. He died once and for all for us and he entered the, the most holy place once and for all. And he's forever our advocate there, there before us. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. Folks, the world needs this hope. It needs this hope. Are we a letter of recommendation? Are we, are, we, are we being hopeful and modeling that to a hopeless world? We need to focus on that, on who we are in Christ and the hope that we, that, that's before us. Folks, uh, Paul also said in Romans chapter 5, he said that even in our, even in our tribulations and and our sufferings, our joblessness, or whatever it might be, that through all that, God builds our character, and that character leads to hope. And that hope does not disappoint because God pours out his love through the Holy Spirit. The author of Hebrews 10.23 tells us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we have we profess for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. Again, Romans, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13. I'm going to read that again for emphasis. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. I read one author, I like this quote. He said, if Moses, who wrote on tablets of stone that kill and condemn, saw enough of God's glory to glow on the outside, how much more 
must we be radiant on the inside with an even greater glory. See, not only is uh, are we to be a letter of revelation, uh, excuse me, a letter of recommendation rather that reveals a new hope. We're also to be a letter of, of recommendation that reveals uh, a new freedom. Second Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit. He's saying the Lord and the Spirit are one. It's one God, just like the Father and, and Jesus are one. For the Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. First of all, when you see, we just read this in context with, in, he's talking about freedom here. I think he's talking about first and foremost when that veil was taken away, when that veil is taken off our spiritual eyes and we're made to see, that's where freedom starts, to see ourselves who we really are, sinners in a desperate need of Jesus Christ. We look here further, and there's, this is so rich, the emphasis here. There are many aspects to freedom. We've been set free, you know, set free from the power, of, as we've seen, the power of sin. There's no better letter of recommendation than, than those who have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. But I think in context here, he's, when he talks about being set free, He's talking about being set free from the bondage of the law. Because remember, the whole chapter, the whole book is really addressing doctrine about what salvation is. Freedom from bondage of the false teachers. Paul said in Galatians 5, 5, 1, where he was addressing the same kind of issue. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself be burdened with the yoke of slavery. Man, it's a yoke of slavery. <laughs> the law, having to say. But see, it wasn't just the law. The, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they actually added to the law. This kind of, in a way, I can, uh, in reading history about this, it, I kind of come to a little more of an understanding as to what happened with the, with the religious leaders, you know, there was a period of about oh, 400 years or so between the Old and New Testaments that there was no word from the prophet. Imagine you're a rabbi and your people have been, had gone into captivity not once but twice. Why? Because they didn't obey the law. There was no word from the prophet. So what did they do? They, started, they came up with this concept of oral traditions. This is how we apply the law to situations in life. This is where all the, you know, on the Sabbath, you don't do this, you don't do that, all the additions that, that were added, and they put it in what is known as the Shema or the Gemara, in the, in the Gemara which were Jewish commentaries. And, and so they established something even above, added even more condemnation. So by the time Jesus comes around, there's all these, addition, call, all, all these additional things to do and rules called traditions of men. It's like in Mark chapter 7 where the religious leaders approach you. Hey, well, how come your disciples, how come they don't uh, wash their hands uh, after eating according to the tradition of our elders? Now, folks, it's good to wash your hands. It's good hygiene, obviously. But it's not in the Holy Writ. It's not in the law. It's something that they added to the law. They added this, 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 this extra burden. They believe this oral tradition was actually given to Moses at Mount Sinai. 
Many rabbis believe this, and that this oral tradition is just as binding as, 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 the, as the Torah or the written law. But the Lord says, you know, what you do is you, you, you sacrifice to obey your traditions, and, and often you disobey what the written law actually says. That's one thing that really made Jesus angry is when people add to the law, when people add the rules and regulations and traditions that the Bible itself does not have. For instance, uh, I was reading a Jewish commentary. About <laughs> a rabbi said, this is actually in 1984, he said, uh, it's okay to put lemon on your, on your fish, but you can't squeeze lemon into your iced tea. That's the law of the Sabbath. Okay. Here's another one. I love this one. You can't turn your air conditioner on or off on the Sabbath, okay? But you can convince a Gentile to do it. Folks, I experienced this firsthand. I shared this several times back when I spoke on true freedom. When I was in Israel, we were all gathered together on the Sabbath day outside the, the Western Wall, and one of our young co-ed girls was filing her fingernails. Do y'all still do that? I mean with a passion. And all of a sudden we heard something, I don't know if it's Hebrew or whatever. And our guide looks, Margaret, you'll have to stop filing your fingernails because that's considered work on the Sabbath. I thought, oh my goodness. A live illustration First, in, the, in the land itself after 2,000 years is bondage to rules and regulations beyond what the, what the Bible says. She stopped. You better. I don't know what would have happened if she kept filing her fingernails. Because I'm telling you, they were they were all equipped. They had uh, all this weaponry on them, machine guns and all that. In the, in the old days, what do they would stone them? You know, here they might have shot her. Who knows? But folks, when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. There were some who were receptive to him. In fact, you know, the Bible teaches that there were some of the religious leaders who, who, as the book of Acts says, became obedient unto the faith. And in John, some of these religious leaders approached him that were, hadn't arrived yet, but they requested him. And Jesus told them, if you hold to my teachings, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. There's a sign uh, under... Uh, actually above the library in New York City, one of the famous libraries there, and it quotes this, this verse, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But it's totally out of context. It's implying there that education is the answer. Now, education is good, don't get me wrong. Book knowledge is great, but book knowledge doesn't save you. It's not talking about being set free, but intellectualism. How many people that are intellectuals are in bondage morally and spiritually? This is talking about moral and spiritual freedom. You know, God forbid that we as Protestants uh, hold on to traditions that the Bible itself doesn't declare. I think what we're in, we fail to be a letter of recommendation if we as, we as a church or we as individuals hold people to expectations of traditions and laws that the Bible doesn't do. Kind of reminds me of a, folks, I quote, Greek mythology here, not to, 
I don't believe Greek mythology is inspired, okay? This is just by a way of illustration. Uh, Hercules was sentenced to clean out the stables of these horses, and there was a there was dung in there, a lot of a lot of cow manure, excuse me, horse manure. And so what Hercules did, he he picked up some rocks and threw them against the mountain, which was adjacent to this great river. And it caused a great crumbling of the mountain, and the rocks came tumbling down and into the river and caused it to be like a, a swift current, and it went into the direction of the of the stables, and it cleaned out the manure almost instantly. Folks, I, I say this not to not to be critical. I, I don't see this in our church because one of the things that attracted us about living ways that we don't not bound by all these traditions like that. I I grew up amongst all that, but sometimes churches can need a good need a good cleaning out when we have these if we add these traditions of men. But we need to be careful that we don't say, well, we're free from the law now. We don't have any kind of obligations. As the Bible says, the, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Many people say, well, that means well, we're under grace now. We're not under law anymore. We don't need these little rules. Yes, we still need the, new, we still need the basic ideas and the, and the principles in the laws, in the Ten Commandments, but not, not, all, not all these ritual rules and everything. We still need God. Because, why? Because God has called us to be holy before him. And we're, not, we're under grace now. We've been saved by grace. Paul hold us, holds to an even higher standard. He says in Romans 6.14, Let not sin be your master, because you're not under, under law, but you're under grace. Because we're under grace now. We have the empowerment, knowledge and empowerment and this hope within us to be able to, to respond uh, to the gospel and to obey him, to obey him and follow him. There was a heresy in the New Testament time known as antinomianism. That means no law. There were Christians then who in, interpreted the, well, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth is through Jesus Christ. And also in, in, in Greek philosophy, there was this idea of material is evil. Material world is bad. So we need to, we need to, in fact, some went so far as to say that the material world is not even real. It's, and they said that about, some said that about Jesus. He's, he's like an illusion. He's like a ghost. If you walked up to him, you, you just fall right through him. He looks like flesh, but he's not flesh because the flesh is not real. So you take that to an extreme, what do you say? Well, since the flesh is not real, we can do what we want to do. We're not under, in the, we're in the spirit, man. So this, this just, we're in the spirit. So this just rejoice in that and not worry about any law. Not any rules. No. God desires us to be holy. I saw a movie years back where a woman was allegedly a Christian and she told a man, hey, well, this have relations. And the man looked at her and he goes, wait a minute. And he, he was not a Christian. He goes, wait, wait. I thought you were a Christian. And she goes, well, now, now my soul belongs to Jesus, but my body 
belongs to me, darling. Now, folks, that seems insane, doesn't it? Our bodies are to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He died to redeem our bodies, that our bodies might one day be raised to live in a new heaven, in a new earth, literal. Folks, it's a letter of law is not only, uh, excuse me, a a letter of recommendation uh, is not only a letter that reveals freedom, a new freedom. It's also a letter that reveals a new you. Did you know that every several years our bodies actually shed skin? Now, we can't see it, but every several years you got a new coat of skin. It happens slowly, but our bodies change. And hey, I'm not the same person I was two years ago. I may look the same, but you know what? I got a new coat of skin on. It's an outward thing, but there's an inner thing going on. And that's transformation. But I didn't mean to imply in everything I've said that this is a passive kind of thing because we're, we're to be very active agents in this transformation. Paul says, Paul had said in Romans 12, I think I preached on this last year, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but through the renewing of your mind, be transformed. How do we renew our mind? By looking at Scripture. The Second Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, And we who with unveiled faces, faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Man, remember, Moses had a veiled face. We come before him with an unveiled face. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. To, and as we look on him, it's not to be a casual gaze. It's to, be, to reflect on him, to gaze at him, which I take to means to stu- study his word, talk to him, listen to what he's saying, saying to us. That as we do that, he begins a work of transformation in our life. Beholding him transforms us into his likeness. It's the same word. This word transformed is the same word we have in the Gospels in Matthew and Mark where Jesus transfigured before Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw his glory. We're changing into that glory little by little. Little by little, spending time with him, beholding his, him transforms us into his likeness, intently studying, meditating upon his word, renewing our mind. As we reflect on him and his character, this brings about repentance into our life, a change of attitude and faith changes us from the inside out. And we become, as James said, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, becoming more like our Lord as he cleanses our hearts and minds and hearts through a process of transformation. Many of us are struggling like we're going to see on this video.
So do you get the idea? All of us can have our list of, 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 of weaknesses. All of us have our list and our shortcomings and the struggles that, that we have in our flesh. But God is continually transforming us. He's continually erasing those things in our life that keep us from having a complete liberty and freedom in Him. You know, we, we know that we'll not, we're not going to arrive and be fully glorified until we see Him. We will not find a perfect perfection until we finally see him in the ultimate state of heaven. As John said in his epistle, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that's open to God and his voice. As a band comes, are doing anyway I want us to consider this for today that God if you're if you're a Christian you have the Holy Spirit if you're not a Christian I invite you to begin this process of transformation and it begins in finding him and having him take residence in your heart when you do that you receive a Receive a, you'll have a new walk in your life. You'll have a new power, a new hope in a hopeless world. And I know there are some here today that are, that are struggling with hope. I pray that we'll focus on, on, on hope and upon him and that we'll find rest in him for our weary souls. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you haven't left us as orphans. You've given us your Holy Spirit and that you are doing a work of transformation in our lives as we seek your face. And I pray, dear God, that we would continually depend upon you and that we would find your peace and rest that passes all understanding. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.